Hey there, and uh, and Merry Christmas again. If you jumped in a little late, my name's J.D. Mangrum. I get to be the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. I get the, the privilege of welcoming you today and, and telling you Merry Christmas. This is our Christmas service. It's my favorite service of the year. It's where the things that um, we've been building toward really for the year, but certainly for this last month since Thanksgiving, sort of begin to culminate. We celebrate Christ. And, and next Sunday is a little different because Christ will have been born and we will celebrate what he has done and is going to do. And we'll even look forward to what he's going to do in 2021 in and among us. And it'll be a totally sweet service. But honestly, the old Grandpa JD and me loves this service uh, the most. So I'm so honored you're here. As we jump into the message today, we've been in the middle of a series called Christmas at the Movies, and today we're looking at the movie The Grinch. Um, no one would argue, I hope, that The Grinch is a classic. Dr. Seuss's 1957 tale is one that millions of people across the country and around the world read every year during this Christmas season. What we could perhaps argue, though, is which screen version is the best? Is it the 1966 uh, version with Boris Karloff? Is it the 2000 version with Jim Carrey? That's Nick's favorite, by the way. If you don't know this, he can quote the entire movie to you. If you ever have two hours free and want to make him very happy, just ask him to do so. He would love that. Or maybe your favorite is the Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, 2018 version, the animated version, The Grinch. That's my son Owen's favorite, my eight-year-old. He loves this movie. Which is your favorite? Um, 1966, uh, 2000? or um, 2018, you can go ahead and just write right now in the comments just which one maybe that you like the best. And um, in Judith and Neil Morgan's book, Dr. Seuss and, and Mr. Geisel, we learned that the Grinch uh, was the easiest story that Seuss uh, ever wrote. Um, Theodore Geisel, the the writer of um, so many children's classics from Springfield, Mass. If you if you didn't know that, I'm sure most of you did. This was apparently his easiest book he ever wrote. But for weeks, uh, they say that he really kind of puzzled and puzzled about how the ending was going to go. You know the the part when the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. He he didn't want a star coming down from heaven. He didn't want an angelic announcement. He didn't want a vision of a nativity. Um, and so what he created was this singing in and among the people that kind of awakened something in the Grinch in the book. If you remember the story, it says, maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight. He whizzed in his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. The classic Christmas stories without any formal religion or religious statement. And, and honestly, yeah, every time I watch it, I see something of the gospel. Geisel very intentionally left out the, the gospel or explicit religious references. And in every one of the movies and every time I read it, I hear and see something of the gospel. It, it addresses Christmas spirit on some level. There's something going on in the hearts of the who's in that, in that movie or cartoon that is more than gifts, it's more than food, it's more than stuff. All the outward signs of Christmas have been stolen by the Grinch, but despite that, it couldn't steal the inner sort of Christmas spirit from the Who's. Now, with this time of year, especially in 2020, where people are talking a lot about Christmas spirit, 
I, I think this year probably more so than normal, but uh, honestly, they have little clue what it is. Now, Hallmark movies, of which several of you are completely addicted, um, they tell us that the Christmas spirit's all about love and romance and finding someone. Not-for-profits are going to tell you that Christmas is all about generosity. Companies that make canned goods and food are going to tell us Christmas is all about togetherness. And so they're having a really hard time branding and marketing this year because this Christmas spirit of togetherness is best embodied around a table and we're having to minimize or sacrifice some of that this year. Sappy commercials will tell us it's family, well-meaning people who don't want anyone to feel left out regardless of their religion will tell you it's about something like light or inner hope. Clark Griswold told us it was a Christmas star. Tomorrow night, actually, for the first time in 800 years, the planets will align and there will be this Christmas star that Clark Griswold in A Christmas Vacation told us was the actual whole meaning of Christmas. We know that none of those are actually the meaning of Christmas, I hope. Like, they may be nice signs or evidence of Christmas, but they're surely not the Christmas spirit. Today, I would love, if you don't mind, to share with you what I believe is the true spirit of Christmas. Reading from Galatians 4, Paul's writing down a sort of confessed creed that many Christ followers in churches of the first century uh, would quote that sort of defined what it meant to be Christian. And this is what Nicole and Miguel and Ari were reading just a bit ago. Now, theologians believe that Galatians, uh, written to a network of churches, was written before Matthew and Luke's gospel. Those books of the Bible are where we get the traditional Christmas story that many of us have come to grow up with and, and have heard um, Linus read uh, or quote in Charlie Brown's Christmas special. Uh, those stories were circulated by Mary and the disciples, and they weren't written down until a little bit after Galatians. Galatians was one of the early books written uh, that made it into the New Testament canon that God had selected to be part of the Bible. And so Paul is writing this creed that's rooted out of um, the truth about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. And he writes in Galatians uh, 4, verses 4 through 7, I'm going to read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. And I believe that is the heart of the Christmas spirit. And I want to tell you today why. Now, I love Luke's recounting of the birth of Jesus. If you get a chance this week, I would totally recommend that you go and sit down and read Luke 2, the first 20 verses of Luke 2. I love hearing of Mary's faith. I love hearing of the shepherd's joy and their witness to everyone of what they saw. I love Matthew's gospel account in the first chapter of Matthew, speaking about the, the Magi and, uh, and how they had so much courage to come and see Christ and then to leave by a different way to avoid endangering him. I love Joseph's courage and faith and obedience. But I love this passage. This is actually one of my favorite Christmas passages. 
It's a lesser known Christmas passage, but it speaks of the birth nonetheless. And what are the implications according to the passage of the birth of Jesus? Let me share a few of them. One, the logistical sort of implications that are mentioned in here. One, uh, it says in the fullness of time, at, at just the right time, God sent his son. The world lay helpless and trapped under the weight of sin, but also in great conditions for a move of God. The Roman Empire provided safe roads, a common language, widespread peace, a stable government, and a sort of sense of there were all these religions across the vast Roman Empire, and yet none of them satisfied, and people felt this longing for more in wanting to connect with God at the fullness of time. People were longing for a relationship that no first century mythology could provide. The fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God sent his son logistically. Jesus wasn't a messenger. Jesus was an example. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't even a creation as Jehovah's Witnesses and others might try to tell you. He was and is the son of God. Many know John 3.16. Howard Hall read it last week. For God so loved the world... But he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But I would encourage you to go and read John 3, 17 as well. It says this, For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, all of us, all the people, for all time and all places, might be saved through him. God sent Jesus to save the world. Jesus, this tells us logistically, was born of a woman. Jesus was fully human, born of a woman. The Bible tells us he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to Mary. If that hurts your brain to think of, I, I get it. Our difficulty explaining it, though, doesn't make it any less true. It was told to us by Luke, a doctor and an intellectually honest man. I'm sure he found it difficult to believe as well. Yet some mysteries are just accepted on faith. And finally, logistically, Jesus was born under the law. Again, Jesus was born into our human uh, condition. He was among sin. He was among brokenness. He was tempted to sin, yet he was without sin. The Bible tells us over and over, allowing him, making a way for him to be able to die sacrificially for our sin. Now, let's also talk about the missional, sort of the mission of God, um, implications of this passage as well of why Jesus came. One says he came to redeem those under the law. The law was the law of God is like uh, a car laying on top of us after an accident that we caused. We sinned. We were pinned under the weight of the law by, by our sin. We know we are trapped, yet we are powerless to lift the weight off ourselves. Jesus came to redeem us. He came to redeem us, to lift the weight off of us and to set us free. Even more, to make us new, for us to be born again, he says in John. To re he also came to that we could receive adoption as sons. Jesus doesn't just save us and leave us. This month we talked about how God comes looking for us. God never leaves us. He makes time for us. Today I want to tell you, and this is the big idea of the sermon today, God invites you to the table and into his family. God doesn't just want to make you religious or have you go to church. He wants to invite us to the table and to his family. Biblically, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus invites us into family, 
family. Paul says we receive adoption. First century adoption in the Roman Empire was irrevocable. The adopted child had the same rights as the birth child. God allows us to have the same rights as Jesus, all by Jesus's death. The adopted child was un-unadoptable, a forever child. So to receive adoption, Paul says, means that we become sons. And this isn't Paul being a jerk face and excluding the daughters or anything like that. He's working within the legal framework of the pagan first century Roman Empire. In that empire, he knew that legally it was males who had the rights and privileges. He's not saying that's good. He's just saying it is. And he says God, parallel to that framework, adopts us and makes us sons. It gives us full rights and privileges in Christ. To become sons means that we get God's spirit in us. We don't get religion and say, best of luck. You're not ever going to hear, you're not ever going to come to me and say, JD, man, I'm in. I'm all in. I want to follow Christ. I want to be born again. And hear me lead you in a prayer and say, hey, cool. See you in heaven. Peace out. Best of luck. Like that's not what God does. And that's not what pastors do. And that's not what faith family does. Rather, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, make us new and empower us to live the Christian life. To get the Spirit, a phrase that some of you are terrified of, to get the Spirit happens when someone becomes a follower of Christ and invites him into their life. And it means that God comes and lives in us and he empowers us to then live the Christian life. It allows us to call out Abba, an Aramaic word that means daddy or papa. It's how Jesus, when he prayed, would talk to his father, to Father God. And if we can call God Abba, then we are heirs and we get all the rights and privileges and inheritance from the Father. Friends, Christmas means the door is open and we have opportunity We are no longer doomed to be slaves. God is longing for sons and for heirs, sons and daughters and for heirs. So at Christmas, we get the choice. When we see baby Jesus, we get a couple of choices. Would I rather be a slave or a child? Would I rather be adopted or orphaned? Would I rather be God's enemy or God's heir? Would I rather be alienated from God or invited to God by God? That is the heart of a Christmas invitation. And this is what the Grinch nails. After years of being alone, something has happened in the Grinch's heart, particularly in the 2018 version, uh, where Cindy Lou Who comes and invites the Grinch to Christmas dinner. And the Grinch is dumbfounded, and he reminds her that he stole everything and nearly ruined their Christmas. And she acknowledges his sin. She says, I know. And then she asked, he asks why she would still want him. And Cindy Lou says something that's only birthed out of the heart of the gospel. So with gospel four, she looks at him and says, because you've been alone for too long. You've been alone long enough. And that leads us to this scene from 2018's The Grinch.
That's the gospel. That is the gospel. That's what it does. You've been alone long enough. You were invited. You can wear a tie or not. You have a spot at the table. You can bring it in and give somebody a hug. You are part of family. You can be a different person. Now be careful with the Grinch. There's there's gospel uh, there, but don't watch it and think that you are Cindy Lou. I, I cannot watch it and think that I'm Cindy Lou. My friends, we are not. We are no Cindy Lou's. We are theologically, biblically, spiritually speaking. We are the Grinch. We are alienated. We are alone. We are guilty. Friends, the heart of God, not us, is mirrored in Cindy Lou who the invitation to the table, sitting by the Grinch, making him family. He was scared to ring the bell. They invited him in. The invitation made him happy to serve. The invitation gave him new friends and family. Perhaps it's a stretch here, but the centerpiece of the feast is the roast beast and the centerpiece of our family, the centerpiece of our table, the centerpiece of our church, of all that God is doing here in and with and for and through us is Jesus. Jesus is the feast. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the lamb who is slain to take away the sin of the world. And it's not just people who see Jesus and acknowledge him. It's the people who See what Jesus has done, how he was sacrificed, and who, not literally, this confused critics and cynics and observers of first century Christians, it's not that we literally feast on Christ, but our lives become so enraptured with Jesus that he becomes so all-consuming that he is the feast. Jesus is what Christmas is all about. Baby Jesus, born in a born in a cave or a barn in first century Bethlehem in the Roman Empire, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, especially essentially just death rags or just throwaway rags. They had nothing. Raised by a young, poor Jewish mom with big faith and by a courageous Jewish carpenter. He lived sinlessly. He died sacrificially on a Roman cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the grave three Jewish days later. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, you and I, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you and I are now sons and daughters of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Papa, we can come to God. Father, we can come to God and talk with him candidly and openly, talking about our joys and frustrations and uh, stresses and anxieties and coming with everything, coming Father, Abba, I want to give you permission. You don't have to come to God in formality and crossing yourselves or in a posture necessarily. Those things are great and fine if they help you focus, but you can come and talk to God. You have access to the table and our family because of Jesus. Paul wrote in verse seven, so you are no longer slaves. Don't come as a slave to God. Do not come trying to bring God something this Christmas. You are a son. You have a place at the table and therefore you are an heir of God. We are not slaves. We are not slaves. 
maybe even in a chance, we begin to wind down. You need to write out as a declaration of, of faith. I am not a slave. I am a son. I am not a slave. I am a child of God. What a powerful declaration this Christmas. We have God's spirit in us. We have access and privilege to call out Abba, Papa, Father, Daddy, to come honestly and intimately. Privilege has become such a culturally or dirty word this year in a lot of ways. Friends, let me tell you, you are privileged, Christian. You are privileged. You and I have privilege, and we have the rights and resources of the children of God. Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, that is the gospel. We are not Cindy Lou. We are the Grinch. But Jesus has made a way for us to be at the table. And like the shepherds leaving the manger that first Christmas night, we can leave the manger shouting and celebrating, telling the world what we have seen. Let me pray for us. God, <laughs> what a year. <clears throat> We've made it this far. You have brought us to this, the Christmas service. And here we are and we say, Merry Christmas. Thank you, God. Lord, some of us have been on quite a journey this year. In the midst of uncertainty and chaos, you have humbled us and brought us to yourselves. And some of us, even today, as a Christmas gift to you, might turn from their sin and just speak to you and turn from sin and ask for forgiveness and invite Christ into their life, confesses death and resurrection, and surrender themselves to you. What a gift. What a way to begin to wind down 2020 by being born again. For the rest of us, God, we just want to say thank you. It's so easy in the busyness of Christmas, and it's so easy with all the trappings of religion to think that we're slaves, and we have to do something for you. But God, the truth of the gospel is you've done everything for us and you've sent your spirit so that you can now do things in, with, for, and through us. And the best is yet to come. And God, not only are we now not slaves, but sons, uh, and not only do we have your spirit, we're also heirs. We have an inheritance. We have privilege. We get to come to you. We can come frankly and honestly in all the wide spectrum of emotions. And God, we come this morning and we celebrate you and we remember you. Jesus, we, we look to the, the nativity set. We look to the manger and we say thank you that we are invited to the table. Of all the best benefits, God, being family with you may be the best. And being family with one another is a nice throw in too. So we love you. God, we're, I, I'm thankful for our church family. It's been a sweet, sweet Sunday. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.